Hello and welcome back to our devotions, the Gospel of of John. Today I want to talk about the healing, the incident of the healing at the Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, or what we call the Sheep Gate. This was about Jesus healing a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years and had no way of being healed. And Jesus healed him. In this story, what I want to highlight for us is the difference between seeing things with God's eyes and seeing with the eyes of the world. And I will point out the contrast that this story shows us of how God sees all of life and how the world sees. So let's turn to John chapter 5 verse 1 to 17 and let us pray. Father, you are an unusual God. So unusual, Lord, you you blow our minds, Lord, as we think of the kind of God you are. Father, we ask then that as we read and reflect on your word, that indeed we may see your glory, the kind of glory that you intend for us to know. And Lord, that indeed we will worship you all the more because of your love, because of your power, but most of all because of your compassion and your humility. Speak to us, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5, verse 1 to 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is that man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to point out five areas where God saw situations and God saw life very differently from what the world sees. The first is that God saw a paralytic man in the face, the face of a paralytic man in a sea of people. The account, the, the accounts tells us that there was a multitude of people who were invalids 
blind, lame, and paralyzed. Blind, lame, blind, lame, and paralyzed. These are the people that we don't value very much. If we had one in the church, we'd be a little happy. If we had two, if we had ten, we would feel like they're a liability. We want healthy, productive, good people. People who have maybe even good earnings. People who are doing well in life. People who have strong leadership qualities. People to prosper the church. Blind, lame and paralyzed. These are people that we don't often look at and certainly don't appreciate very much when they exist in our churches. Likewise, in this place, there was a multitude of them. And if we could tell that it was a dog-eat-dog world, that there was a frenzy each time the water was stirred. There is a legend that whenever the water was stirred, the first one to get into the water would be healed. There was a multitude, and they were left all left to their own devices. This man had been sick, for paralyzed for 38 years, and yet he had no chance of getting into the pool. Obviously, it wasn't a queuing up system. Obviously, there was no one to help them to put them into the pool. They each fended for themselves. Survival of the fittest, the one who fights best. Imagine among invalids, the survival of the fittest, the one who can fight the best and get himself in the pool, edge himself there, wins the race. Dog-eat-dog world. It's a cruel world out there. And Jesus saw in the whole sea of faces the face of a man who was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. He was absolutely non-productive. And he had been there for many, many years. Maybe even all 38 of his years. And Jesus noticed him. It's very understandable, almost very typical, that we don't notice these things. We don't notice these people. We, um, well, they don't mean very much to any of us. But to Jesus, it meant everything. He saw him. You know, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. He says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. In God's eyes, there is an inversion of values. The ones whom we see as most vulnerable, the weaker ones, the less honourable, we treat with greater honour. Can we ask God to change our eyesight, give us new eyes to see? that the ones who are valued very little in the world are the ones who matter the most to God. The invalids were precious to God and this man, this invalid, was important to God. Second thought is this, that God sees solutions that we cannot see. Jesus asked the man a question, would you like to be healed? What the man heard instead was, would you like me to, someone to throw, push you into the water? Would you like to be first in the queue? Would you like to get into the water and be healed right away? You see, this man was stuck because he was, and he was stuck with despair. The only way he could find healing in his mind was that if someone got him into the water before everyone else. But God's solutions 
are very different from our solutions. God had a more direct way. He was simply asking, do you want to be healed? The man saw no other way of being healed except to be pushed into the pool. Jesus saw so many other ways of healing him. You know, often in as we present our problems to God, we think that solutions are impossible. There is no way, there is no solution, there is no path out of this. We have no choice. And yet we forget that in God's eyes, there are possibilities all the time. One of the things is, that happens often is when we look at the condition of our lives or we look at the condition of someone's life and say, there's no way he can change. A leopard never changes its spots and even if he could change, it would take a lifetime. It would take forever to change. What I've learned is that what seems to us possibly to be eternity could be switched around within a minute, within an hour, within a day. We can't see into the future and so to us there is despair. God's, God cannot work that fast. God, nothing can happen within the span of time. But again and again I've seen it in my life, again and again I've seen the lives of others, that God could overturn and God could change situations, change things, change people, just in the twinkling of an eye. Literally. I remember a time when I was in deep despair and I said to God, God, if I had to sojourn, if I had to journey for 40 years just searching for you, even then I would do so. And I was in despair just thinking 40 years to know God and to find the joy that God could give us. And God turned that around and within an hour of my prayer, God came through and filled my heart with so much joy. Something that I never expected, something that could not have been expected to take place within an hour. And yet, that's the way our God works. And so these days I'm learning instead of giving God clear instructions as to how to do His job, I simply bring my problem to God. I say, God, please solve it. Whether it's someone who is ill or myself or problem that I'm facing, I try, I'm learning now not to tell God what the solution will be. I simply tell God, God, this is the problem that I have. I hand it to you. And then often I pray too and I say, God, open my eyes to see the solutions that you have for us. Because I realize too that even when God presents the solutions to me, I'm so fixed at the way I want things to happen. And I don't see his solutions. And I want God to open my eyes to see what solutions He has already in store. Solutions that are way beyond my imagination, that blow my mind. But God can do the work in ways we cannot see, ways we cannot understand. The third thought is this, that God rejoices in the good, good work, while the world sees the laws that have been broken, the offences that a person has committed. This man, slain man, was told by Jesus, pick up your bed and walk. Why? Because you're healed. You don't need that bed anymore. You don't want to leave it there in the crowd. Throw it away or whatever. Do whatever you want, but you don't have to be lying here anymore. It was a miracle of healing. 
The Pharisees, it was staring in the faces of the Pharisees. And all they could see was that this man was carrying a bed on the Sabbath day. I mean, can you just imagine how stupid that is? Here was a man who was walking, who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and now walking and carrying his bed. I mean, man, this is unbelievable. Even more unbelievable was when the Pharisees looked at him and all they saw was a man carrying a bed on the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath. He had broken the law. And yet, is this not common among us too? That often when God has worked a miracle, all we see are the offences they have done. You know, in relationships, we're often blind to the changes that God makes to the lives of those who have offended us. I realize how true that is, that often the picture, the mental picture of I have of a person who has offended me and again and again perhaps, is that this person is going to offend again, that this person never changes. And after the miracle of transformation, I still look at the person and say, no, this person cannot be trusted, person cannot be changed. That's exactly how they looked at Paul the Apostle. He had as Saul, before his conversion, he had persecuted Christians again and again. And when many Christians saw him, they were afraid. This man cannot change. It took a man, Barnabas, to believe that God would change him, to hold him and nurture him, and then to lead him out to meet the others and convince them that God had indeed changed Paul into a man of God man ready to give his life for God. It's something that we need to ask God to open our eyes again. The Pharisees were clearly blind, a miracle staring them in the face, and all they saw was an offence. What about us? Do we see the miracles that God is doing in our midst, the transformation of lives that's taking place, and yet do we only see the offences that have taken place, the hurts that cannot be healed, that we will not allow ourselves to be healed of? When God, what God sees is that there is beauty and there's healing and there are miracles day by day. I pray that God may open our eyes to, to see the changes, the positive changes that are taking place and to rejoice with Him. Fourth, that God is self-effacing. You know, for Jesus to have healed this man paralyzed for 38 years was indeed a huge miracle. And yet the Bible says that Jesus had withdrawn himself because a crowd was forming. Jesus was withdrawing himself because a crowd was forming. I mean, do you see something very wrong with that? When a crowd is forming and I've just healed someone, do I want to withdraw myself? Here's the opportunity to promote myself, to advertise my gifts and my abilities. Here is the opportunity to let people know that I am the great healer. Wouldn't I then be passing out my name card and telling them, hey, I'm from Agape Methodist Church and my name is Reverend Dr. Chu Ming Li and I am the great faith healer. But Jesus withdrew himself. 
because a crowd was forming. It makes us think again about the glory of God. What is the glory of God? We often say that glorify your name, glorify yourself. We often think then that glorying God, glorifying God is the power, is the miracles. I mean, something even more crass when I was in, in school, I was in ACS and therefore a very strongly Christian church. But what disturbed me often was that we would parade our top students who were Christians and say, this glorifies God. This one, what, 9As, 8A1s, 9A1s. Hey, he's a Christian. May God be glorified. Promotion of great things. And yet when we think of God, God was self-effacing. That the glory of God perhaps is not that all his power, the people would bow down and worship, but the glory of God is that he considered us more important than himself. That though he was God, he knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples. Though he was God, he agreed to die, to take upon himself the curse, the insults, and the sins of the world. To be considered sin who had no sin. I might be forced to worship and glorify a God of power, but nobody needs to force me to worship and glorify a God who counts me as more important than He is. Because such is love, such is the glory of God. When I think about it then, the greatest glory of God isn't the great things He has done. The greatest glory of God that he found us more important than he is. Fifth, the world lives by intimidation. Pharisees intimidated this poor man who had just been healed, told him, tell us who had broken the law. It was obvious that if the man hadn't complied, he might be cast out, he might be punished for breaking the law himself. And he was forced into a corner to betray the one who had healed him. God, on the other hand, sets people free. Jesus found the man and simply said to him, Stop sinning. And then warned him, Something worse may happen because sin always has consequences. Often we, who, when we sin, we are blind to the consequences of our sin. You know, working in prison, I realized that there is this common saying, right? Inside, forget. Inside, regret. Outside, forget. And inside, where there is much thought, they realize that sin has terrible consequences to themselves, to the families, to the loved ones, to the victim, and the loved ones of the victims. And they regret. They know how dire the consequences of sin are. But the moment they step outside, they forget. Forget all that they had realized about the consequences of sin. So it is also with us. When we sin, we forget the terrible consequences of our sin, both on earth as well as eternally. And Jesus was warning this man, remember the consequences, the price of sin, and stop sinning. But what Jesus wanted to do was for love of him. He wanted to set this man free, to help this man to live a full and abundant life. 
This is in contrast to the Pharisees who intimidated him, wanted to cow him into betraying the one who had healed him. What a contrast. At the end of the day, I want to follow God, not because He's powerful, not because He forces me to, but because of His nature, because of the way He sees us, a face lost in the crowd, and yet He picks us up and He knows the weakest, His eyes are upon the weakest, the most vulnerable, He gives the most protection, He gives the most honour to those who are dishonourable who have been dishonoured by others. I love my God and I trust Him because He has solutions that blow my mind, solutions that I cannot ever see. And He comes up with them and I'm learning to just leave it to Him, tell Him my problems, leave it to Him. I love my God because He rejoices and good things are happen, happening and he keeps refusing to see my sin. He keeps refusing to judge me for the mess that I've made. What he wants to see is that I'm set free. And though there are consequences to sin, he doesn't use that to intimidate me. He doesn't use that to bind me further. He tells me, live well, that you will escape the consequences of sin. And so much I love my God because... His glory is not about how great He is. His glory is about how He brings Himself down to my level and below my level that He might lift me up. We have a self-effacing God, not a God who will elevate Himself and say, all of you worship me, but a God who gives Himself to us because He loves us. Let us pray. Father, help us to ponder at the way you are. Because God, so hard to wrap this, these truths around our minds. That you who created the universe, you who held the stars, you would count us more important than yourself. That you would lay your life down for us who deserve nothing. That rather than seeking the adulation and the applause of the world, you simply wanted this man to be healed, to be set free, and then you disappear. You withdrew. Because it's not fame that you seek after, but love, the life of a man. Father, we ask that you cause us to think, to rethink of who you are, Almighty God, glorious God, and Lord, that we worship you simply because you love us like no one else would. Fill us, Lord, fill our lives, fill our hearts with all of you throughout this day. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope then that you have a really good and blessed day. God bless you. Goodbye.